0: Welcome to the Ambitious Africans Podcast, where you get to steal timely tips to advance or switch your career, increase your income streams, and impact other young people you know. This podcast is home for you if you're a young professional or an entrepreneur who is passionate about advancing your career and building great communities. I am your host, Silpa Secho, a development worker in the entrepreneurship education space, a content creator, and a DIY sewing tutor. Support this podcast by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and if you're someone who likes to go the extra mile on things, then please share this episode with another ambitious African you know. Check in on Instagram, link up on LinkedIn, and see you on YouTube with the link in the description box below. Let's go into today's episode. Hi Paul, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to have you.
1: Thanks for having me, Sergio
0: yeah okay so i'm just going to go straight into my discovery for today so today i discovered that approve had just um joined the it is called the financial data exchange yes Yes. and you guys with people like mastercard wells fargo my god like how how did you guys get there
1: well i mean (laughs) so the how maybe let me talk about what it is first then i can go into the how right so the financial data exchange is a global standard of uh uh, for companies basically that have access to personal data usually we call that PII personal identifiable information and part of that PII also comes in financial data so typically say you were um, applying for a loan, right, from a bank, they would request that you give them access to your financial statements. The reason why they need that is to be able to understand your financial history so that they can determine uh, like a score of credit worthiness to you and we will be able to determine the kind of loan they should be giving you, right? And so that's in essence, these companies, uh, like you mentioned, Mastercard, Played, Wells Fargo, et cetera, they do all of this, but they came together and said, hey, you know, we are all trying to access consumers data, but we need to think about how we protect the consumer. So why don't we come up with a standard of how customers share their financial data with us and how it should be regulated so that if we as companies are collecting this financial data for the purposes for which we need for, we are doing it in the rightful and lawful manner, right? And that's how come they came up with the financial data exchange. So it's been around for, I think, three, four years now. And it's, it's now more than um, more than 130 million people uh, or companies globally, and these are top, no, more than 130, not 30 million, 130 companies worldwide. And we are the first sub-Saharan African uh, startup or company to to join the standard. What it means for us is that one, we get to learn about the standards that these companies uphold. Secondly, we also get to contribute to the standards that they create. Because in Africa, we also have a bit of a different ecosystem. Uh, We have mobile money, right? Mobile money has your financial data. The question is, if you want to share that uh financial data with someone how should it be shared right and so the regulation hasn't it's not covering it in detail there's data protection laws they they are quite general but you for specifically for financial data sharing because it's very critical information you need a standard and Africa's uh, peculiarities are a bit different and so we get to contribute to that global standard and say you know Africa is not left out right we 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 get to uh, um, shape that whole global movement as well. And what that also means is that then we are able to teach other companies as well as you know, uh, regulators on how to go about regulating such an ecosystem. And we, we did this because you know we, we have a product called Approve Financial, which will enable this to enable a lot of innovators who want to learn, but they can't get access to the kind of data that they need to learn um, to be able to do so and it will unleash a lot of um, innovation. But more importantly, it puts the ownership of data and the control of how uh, a consumer has their data in their hands. So they can say that I can decide to share my data that is in Ecobank or it's Stambeck or it's any other platform. And that, that is my decision, right? And so, um, yeah, we have wow. built that kind of infrastructure that enables this.
0: Yeah, and how, how well, so you definitely um, will talk about proof, but how, how did you guys come up with this decision of joining the exchange? Is there like a whole oh, criteria? Okay. Because this is quite a big deal to be the first Sub-Saharan Africa, to, um, Sub-Saharan African company. Yes. To be part of the exchange, it, it 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 leaves me questioning how about the other financial institutions?
1: Well, um, so so it's two things, right? The first thing has to do with the fact that we are innovators, we are building innovation that is pioneering on the continent. What it means is that you if you're gonna be one of the first persons to be doing that, you want to come out with the best foot out, right? And so yeah. the yeah, our compliance team had to do a lot of research. Myself, I'm in the industry. I had to do a, a lot of research on understanding are there other people globally who are doing what we want to do? Yes, they are. How are they going about doing the technology wise? So we learned that, right? Some of the best standards. What are the regulatory standards that exist? So when, in asking this question, right, we found um, in answering this question we found um, um, FDX. We found that uh, it was a standard a membership based organization that all these uh, companies that are also building similar infrastructure as we are building here in Africa are doing the same. But the challenge we realized was that there was no real organized regulation around it here in Africa. There wasn't something similar in Africa. And so that is-
0: You mean that's on the regional level?
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we were like, why don't we join the global entity and start to create, you know, a standard for Africa and also share our know how and our experiences here in Africa.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats on that. Um, I can't wait to see all that's going to come out of this.
1: Absolutely. In, in, in effect, what's going to happen is that uh, we'll be in the background. Um, your bank or your telco will be able to lend to you very easily. They'll make, let's say, $10,000 available for you for the entire year, and you can pull or withdraw whatever amount that you need, and you just pay, pay, pay back on the interest. So they make credit lines available to you. And, I mean, they don't worry too much about you repaying because they understand exactly what your financial I, position looks yeah. like. Right. And so they'll give you what you can pay back and they'll give mm-hmm. you more than necessary. You understand?
0: Yeah. And now is when you tell us about approve.
1: Yes. So think about approve as a, a communication platform, right? When two or more systems are, are talking to each other, they, there needs to be something that is organizing how information flows. In between them so from a technology point of view you can think of approve as that because it's an api it's an api that coordinates how data moves from one point to the other so that's just like the most layman explanation i can give now from a business point of view there, are, so there there's a reason why i'm explaining approved like that because we have multiple stakeholders and multiple stakeholders interact with us differently you understand from yeah. a business point of view, when I say business, I mean the businesses that we serve, financial services, what they use us to do is to verify every information they collect from their customers. So, we be it an individual or a business, right, you will be submitting some information to a bank you, or a fintech. It might be your, your ID documents or your financial statements or your business certificates. But the question is how do we know that you own all these things that you are submitting to us as, as a bank right and so the bank needs to go to someone a third party that has an overview of all this information right and more importantly with your consent especially if you are because you are trying to assess the service that the bank is um you know uh serving you you have to give them consent to look you up so we are the infrastructure that enables one the ability for you to give them consent so that they can look you up and to being able to do a lookup on you as an individual in a business so that they're able to meet what we call KYC regulation. You know, and so in that sense we are like a, a database where you go check whether an individual's information submitted is genuine or not. Think of it like that. Then, so for, for a consumer for a consumer mm-hmm. on your end the way you would interact is For example, if you download a a bank app and they ask you to take a picture of your face and take a picture of your document, you know that Approve is the one that's enabling that because the bank needs to do that to be sure that you are the one.
0: Yeah, so pretty much it's like, for example, me as a consumer, I have like my ID card um, and I keep it with my friend Approve. Approve, asks me if I'm willing to share my ID number with this bank or that bank right yeah. yes and then <laughs> on the business side the bank says hey approve you're trying to see if we can give such a this amount of money we yes. want to know where she's coming from how much she earns yes. will she be able to pay us back exactly and then you say yes yes or no she she can't she doesn't have see yes,
1: we we don't influence that decision though. But we give them we give them information to make that decision. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. How did you come to this idea? What? How how did you just get up one morning and say, hmm, "I want to be this person"? People ask if they should give their money to others.
1: Uh, yeah, I didn't get up one morning though. <laughs> <laughs> It yeah. took a while, it took a while. I mean, I think it's a, it's always like, like they say, an overnight success took more than, uh, almost at least 10 years to build, right? Yeah. Um, it takes time. It's a, a, a combination of various things that you realize after making multiple mistakes, after asking the right questions, and also the wrong questions, because they all add to you, to your multiple experiences then. You come to an understanding of, you know, how things work. So, I mean, I, when I finished high school, I went to Africa Academy, right? I was small a science students, very NED and all of that. But when I finished high school, I got a job with an insurance company, and that insurance company, one of the things that we had to do was what we call KYC, Know Your Customer, which is a Bank of Ghana uh, regulation, or uh, basically a financial services regulation that you have to verify your customers. But typically in those times, so we are talking about 2013, 2013, maybe before. And and I would go, I was working in Koforidia. So I would, let's say, onboard like 10 people a week and I have to submit it to my boss and my boss will determine whether that person meets the KYC regulations. In those times, we didn't really have a system to properly check. And so I, you know, the bank sometimes the the insurance firm I was working with, they didn't want to take risk. Their appetite for rates wasn't high. So they would turn down parts of my customers if they couldn't really find anything about, you know, that customer I admitted. I was being paid per commission. So you can imagine how pissed I was always when I was losing money, right? And so um, basically that was my first exposure to the kind of problem I'm solving now, I It never sat... I never came to the realization until I started working in the bank. I was working in Group. I was a management trainee there and I got to like go around, work in all departments of the business. And that was actually what um, exposed me to the problem and helped me understand the problem. Also from another point of view, particularly from a business point of view, right? And I always wonder why do all these guys have to drive and come to the bank and do their verification is just so tedious right so that was my like my second exposure to the problem so you would realize that it was a build up um, it was a build up of various problems and realizations and experiences now my third major experience that i encountered with this problem i'm solving was uh, my previous startup which is called loistart this was uh, in 2017 now loyalty is a solution um, for small businesses to um, keep their customers coming, keep records of their customers, and be able to, um, um, to be able to create a loyalty program. And typically for every loyalty program, when there's when it's time to redeem your reward, because you know you've been maybe purchasing several times, you would need to uh show some kind of identification so that they can be able to um you know be sure that you are the one who is coming for the reward that they are going to give right and so we started we wanted to build a verification system into the app and i was like ah, what will it take us to be able to build a verification system we started doing our research we found out that you know we had to go to the government. Go sign some documents, we need some regulations. It was just so cumbersome. And the process was so difficult. Even when we got it, it took us like six months. Then the the kind of technological infrastructure the government was making available for us, it was really archaic. So we're like, ah, but I know what this problem is. I have seen this before. It showed up across my career and now look at what is happening. Um, I'm really finding it hard to even build my own company. So I just told myself that what would be worth it would be more uh, of solving this problem because I know this problem through and through rather than trying to build a loyalty program app for startups. And that is how I left LoyStar late uh, December, 2017, And I started as a research project. We're working on a research project. Later in 2018, we got a grant from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which then pushed us to actually start a a project approved as a, a company on its own. And so, yes, that is like our history, more or less. Because they say when you want to really solve a problem, you must be close to that problem, right? And so, I mean, it was just a no brainer for me to start to say, look, we can solve this, right? So where do we start from? So we started in a very uh, basic way, you know? Um, And yeah, from there, like everything led, one thing led to another and, you know, you start to understand more. Once you start solving a problem and you spend more time on it, you begin to understand the problem better you begin to figure out better solutions, you know, it's just like that, it happens like that.
0: Yeah, and I, and I I would say it's also grown to become more of a financial inclusion problem beyond just the customer identification problem. Would, would you say that's the case?
1: Yeah, so the thing, the, what, what's even interesting is that, you know, when I was in mist I started taking interest in financial inclusion. Now, not knowing that, Identity is actually a core problem that um, financial inclusion efforts try to solve. Because Mm. without the ability to, you know, verify someone and tell who they are, how will I be able to open a bank account for you? How will I be able to lend to you? How will I be able to give you insurance services? I want to know who I'm dealing with. I don't want to end up dealing with uh, a terrorist financing, uh, a terrorist who is financing you know, um, various illegal activities. I don't want to deal with some uh, money launderer, you know. Um, I just want to know who you are so that if I lend money to you, I can, and you default, I can come and look for you and, you know, take the money from you, you understand? So those are all critical answers that, like if you don't provide answers to these things, financial inclusion won't happen, you understand? And. It, that's just where the, also the intersection came, and I thought I thought it was really great because then now I'm able to you know add all the things that I've been passionate about, and you know um, be able to really work towards solving them.
0: Yeah, and talking about financial inclusion, you have worked extensively, you know across the continent, if I dare say so. How how do you see the work of approve, you know, in real life making people's life way better than it would have other you know otherwise? Because I I feel like, I get the sense that financial inclusion is very pivotal to people's economic success, and you being able to unlock those gaps and those hindrances that could make that possible, literally light up a, lo- a lot of light bulbs for a lot of people regarding the options they have financially to structure their lives pay for things that matter to them and their likes yeah. with, with your travel experiences as, as well how, how would you say that your approved um, system or infrastructure is literally changing people's lives that you have you know become very connected to so well,
1: what, what's funny is that Usually, you would not even see us in the forefront, right? We're in the background yeah. because we—I am not the person who lends, right? So we have a customer like Carbon, right? Carbon does lending online to businesses in Nigeria, or Sterling Bank. Sterling Bank enables people now—you don't need to even walk into the Sterling Bank uh, bank branches to open a bank account, right? But we are—we are the ones in the background making that possible, right? Mm. So now people in rural areas can open bank accounts and they can be verified, right? So far as they have some kind of ID from the government, they can be verified. Um, They want to borrow money from the bank. They don't need to walk into the bank. They have to dial a short code, and we do some verification on their financial position so that you can give them a loan. It's all done in the background. You understand what I mean? So- Yeah. yeah, th- this is how we've been helping drive financial inclusion by making it possible to build industrial infrastructure for which the industry can use or leverage off to build all these beautiful innovations that you can hear you hear of.
0: Yeah, yeah. And talking about travel experiences,
1: tell us a bit about
0: all the places you've been to, the experiences you've had, and. What 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 new things have you discovered about yourself traveling? I mean, we are now getting to the personal side of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, let's so let me start really from like things that I discovered, especially when my dad passed away. I was still in Northwater then, and I first got to go to my hometown. So I'm an way, right? So I come from Keta, and oh, wow. yeah, I come from Keta, and so. Um, we We had to go to the funeral in the in our hometown and i when I got to get there, I was like ah, i don't understand what's going on because see my dad wouldn't i mean I remember maybe I had some glimpses as a kid, probably I was six or seven years old wearing the volta region a couple of times but since then i don't i don't think I have so much memory of how many times we went back but i my 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 first experience in good memory I have was you know when we're going to bury my dad and I saw the whole place and I was like Keta is so beautiful it's the Keta Lagoon with the results over there the Sugako not far away the beaches are just awesome and so like I spent like a week over there walking on the beach just looking at the lifestyle over there I was like wow so is this what I've been missing out on (laughs) it was just so interesting that I've been missing out on all these things because, I mean, I when I was in Mest, I was always going to Adan just to, you know, hang out on the Booter uh, Lake and all of that. And So I began making friends who were all, you know, sailors and I just wanted to, I just fell in love with the idea of being a sailor. Not knowing that I actually mm. come from a place where the are sailing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like,
0: Born a sailor, you were meant to be
1: a exactly. sailor. <laughs> exactly, my you know, my, my great, great um, uh, grandparents and all of them, you know, they are sailors. In fact, I even realized then, when, when I went back to the Rotary region, I was told that, I think two or three generations of my gr- grandma is um, German. She's called Krieger, that's the surname, name, right? Mm. And oh. you learn about all those forts and the history of the Rotary region, yeah. the yeah. Germans used to be there, then later on came, the French, then you know we became part of Ghana and all of that. So I started falling in love with all that rich history, and I want—I just told myself that, you know, I'm going to explore. I'm not going to stick to Ghana alone because I did the exploration of Ghana, but I need to start looking at Africa, right? And anytime I have an opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. So it's funny because my very first proper travel to an African country, well, I think. Well, I was in Togo, I I had multiple traits, but like something that I I as an individual decided to do and I'm aware was actually in Côte d'Ivoire. Yeah. <laughs> this was just a year after, so 2070, right? This was just after uh when Côte d'Ivoire had the Civil War, you know, Gabu wow. and all of that. And things, tempests were cooling down a bit. Watara was in power for like about nine months. And we are, at that point in time, that was when I just started the project. I told you that uh, APRU was like a research and i had be invited by uh, a global organization to an event called SOFI, right? And it's a financial services event. So we had a lot of banks from all over Africa, regulators and all of that coming. And so <laughs> we went to that event. We we're in Abidjan, it was amazing. I was seeing the beautiful coast of Côte d'Ivoire, and all of that. Then I think on my way to the that hotel. has
0: had a lot of water bodies all over the city.
1: Yes, obviously. Yes. I you love it so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on our way to the, uh, the hotel, all of a sudden we had some gunshots. And we we're like, what the hell is going wow. on? Yeah, on our way to our hotel. And actually, the gunshots were being directed at our car. Yes. Yes. The, wow. The, the driver realized and he, there was a median in, in between the road, right? So he broke the median mm-hmm. and entered on the other side. And everybody was like, it was just you wow. know, crazy. And the, what actually happened was that the soldiers, the rebels who had been drafted into the army and were, and were promised a lot by the president, Watara. You know, he didn't fulfill, right? He promised them a house, yeah. a car, all of that, and yeah. salary. But he didn't fulfill them. So the guys get angry and, and, you know, they hold the country hostage. So we were in Abidjan in the middle of all that craziness. It was one <laughs> crazy adventure because I was like, yeah. So d- d- all these things I've been watching on news is actually <laughs> real. But the, thing, the way i think about some of these things when i hear about them in other countries at the time was ah it's just not real at all Well, it's just the news that's how i always thought about it until you really and, and, experience that,
0: and, 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 and i'm even surprised how many countries have you been to so far
1: so so for african countries i've visited uh, 17 and counting till date
0: wow and your first you know, proper visits, if I can count the Kodiva one as your first proper visit. Yes. Your first proper visit didn't deter you from the next sixteen.
1: <laughs> no, 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 not that. <laughs>
0: How is that even possible? You were almost killed in a foreign land.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, until now we sat down. So the person I was with, I was like, hey, so can you imagine, can this happen in Ghana? Like they've not paid the soldiers two months, three months, and they'll get up and say, we are holding, uh, we are blocking Ring roads, we are blocking states as no one can move. I was just thinking, we we're just thinking about it. Can it really happen in Ghana? Because it's, it brought a lot of questioning my reality and what I believe to be true. It mm. made me really think about that, you know? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: But how, it, com- it, how
0: come I didn't tell you for the, from the next,
1: no, yes, I think the thrill of it also was there. It was very interesting. What? <laughs> what? The thrill of it was there. So, we, yeah, since then, oh, many, many other experiences I was in. Lagos, uh, you know, Lagos is a very interesting place because, you know, it's the home of business for the continent, it's the biggest market, um, but it has its own challenges, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. How
0: how do you guys navigate these entries for for our proof? How 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 do you manage it? Because yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not easy really to yeah. get into some markets in Africa. Yeah,
1: right. I think the core of it is building relationships in each market. And so while mm. I was about some of these events, like the Abidjan event I told you about, I yeah. met an event where I met so many other Africans companies, startups, and I kept mm-hmm. those. So if, say, I was going to Nigeria, I'll call up that friendship that I had. Luckily, luckily also, I went to MESS, right? And I, I'm, it was my batch where, um, you know, the companies, they were accepting other um, uh, foreign nationals other than Ghanaians, right? And so all these relevant networks, being involved in um, helping other, you know, African startups and organizations, built help me build networks. so that that's the first thing you do if you're going to another place that you don't know and you have one friend there the first right. thing you do call them to find out and tell them look this is what i want to do who do you think i should be speaking to that's what we do right we we do a survey of the market to understand what we are getting into before you know we make any commitment to go there yeah that's amazing
0: when you're starting, did you ever think this was how far you're gonna go? Not like um, I know, not like you you would say you've gone that far. But did you see yourself coming this, you know, this close to getting that far?
1: At the very beginning, no. At the very beginning, we, we were thinking of the product just for Ghana. That's where how we're thinking of it. Until we got the grant from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And we started uh, speaking with other companies that were selected for the grants. Some of them were other African companies. They were like, yeah, but you know, my country also has this problem. Eh? Can you solve it for me? And uh, you, know, you start to hear from all these companies, and they'll be like, you better build something across the African continent that if I want to expand to Kenya, if I want to expand to Nigeria, that problem has been solved. I don't need to think about that problem. You know. So that's, that's
0: really where it came from. Wow. Wow. So what are some of the things you love most about the places you've been to? I want to come back to the traveling Because I feel like this year is one of the guests who are really going to try to visit a lot of African countries.
1: Yeah, they and have.
0: You are like an ambassador for African travel,
1: so. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. all yeah. the details, whoa. What, have, what, what does the continent look like?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's one thing that um, I quickly realized was that Africans are very similar but different. It's a very interesting dichotomy because mm. they have very specific things that I'm sorry about that. They are very specific things that make us different. So for example, if you compare North Africans to um, West Africans, like religion, uh, let's say more, when I say West Africans, I mean Ghana, Nigeria, uh, mm. you know, Sierra Leone, Togo. We are not yeah. so much impacted by religion as North Africa is imp- impacted by religion. But they, other than the religion, they also have culture, culture which is peculiarly African. So I'll, I'll tell you, when I was in Togo and I had a friend, Moroccan lady, she woke up early in the morning and this was the, I think, EcoBank FinTech challenge in Lome, right? She woke up early in the morning and she was at the poolside and she was using a chewing stick. This is a Moroccan, right? I was wow. like, wow, what are you doing? I said, you have this. I said, you know what she told me? She was like, but are you not African? <laughs> <Iranian> <laughs> and the African country. And I was like, yes, but this, you guys, you, you always claim you're not African, you know, I, she said, forget that, she said, forget that, truly really, we are African, but all that happens, all the other, when people, you know, they not Africans like to, um, um, associate more with Arabs, right, they call themselves Arabs, but it's all political, she told me it's all political, but. If you come to the culture itself, the culture of respect for elderly, um, sharing resources with your family, um, you know caring for, for people in your community, is something that they have and it's been part of them. And that is some, something that's so consistent across many African countries, but various dynamics make them change depending on you know, what the circumstances are. So for example, in Nigeria, Nigerians are, because of their population, right? You don't have any room to be slow around things, right? I don't know whether you understand what I mean.
0: I know, yeah. You
1: need to be fast, you need to move quickly. Like they've got no time. I I always say Nigerians have a need for speed, but it's not because (laughs) they decided for it to be like that. Mm -hmm. They just have a huge population. They are fighting for very little resources. You can't just be sitting around. It's just not possible. You will lose out big time. You understand what I'm saying? So naturally, that makes them very fast, very eager. Like For me, at first, I always thought Nigerians were, by default, angry people. But until I went to Nigeria, then I understood why it appears like, by default, they are angry people. Mm. You get what I mean? And if you go to any country with a high population like they do, you will see the same thing. So you begin to see the correlations be, between these uh, characters. Right. Wow.
0: wow.
1: You went I to Kenya too? Yes, 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 Kenya, Kenya. So I mean, more and more, when I began traveling, one of the things that happened was that I, I fell in love, obviously, I wanted to sail across the entire coast of Africa. So I fall in love with sailing. You wanted so, to what? Basically travel the entire coast of Africa, you know? You
0: wanted to sail across Africa.
1: Yes. And basically that's what I'm doing. That's been my mission, right? What? So every, every African country I go to, if it has a water body, be it inland or at the coast, wow. I sail, right? So when I was in Uganda, Uganda is actually landlocked. So it's inland but they do have Lake Victoria and and they have uh, also River Nile passing through them, right? In fact, Mm. River Nile, that you know, a lot of us don't know the the proper history of River Nile. River Nile actually ends up in Egypt, right? But the story has always been told in such a way that uh, the River Nile looks like it's only in uh, Egypt because they are the ones who have, you know, made the most use of it and it's you know mm-hmm. only in the industry but there we have what we call the now basing countries in africa there are about 11 of them and uganda is one of them in fact the source of the river now starts from uganda wow and so i was a big privilege for me to to be you know to go to that place and right because it has a lot of history attached to it in fact it is that the, the now's history, right? Is what I've been doing some reading on African history. And today I was watching a a, a, a documentary on how some Egyptian statues and hieroglyphics, like very ancient artifacts, were found in Congo. Mm. Like, well, Egypt wow. is not. Yeah, in, right? in Congo, far down wow. Congo. And they, they were talking about how. There isn't so much said about what the Pharaohs how the Pharaohs interacted with the rest of Africa. We only hear uh, maybe a, a bit of Ethiopia then you know Egypt and Israel that's all you know maybe from the Bible but you don't hear whether there were pharaohs who came down as far as maybe the Ghana Empire or the Songhai yeah. Empire or Congo. we don't hear about it right mm-hmm. but the now actually, because the source comes from way down into the Bantu region, right? You would actually find out that there were pharaohs who went down, 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 traveled down, 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 and came way down into inland Africa. And all of that history fascinates me, right? So imagine being on that, uh, the source of the now, right? You are, you are traveling yeah. and you picture yourself Back a thousand or more than that, even you know, ancient years ago. Imagine seeing pharaohs using that, right? That is how I sort of like picture my travels because I like to travel back into time. I think about the history that you know, River Congo has a lot of history to it. Um, When you go to a place like Kenya uh, and visit a town like Lamu, Lamu is a coastal town, right? That is the home of Swahili. That is how Swahili developed. And in fact, the way Swahili developed, it was a combination of people who came from uh, the country Oman. It was a combination of uh, the people called Bajun. Bajun were from seashells. Combination of Chinese, Portuguese. And that is what made that the, the wow. intersections of all these different <laughs> cultures was, wow. came up with the language Swahili. So like, If you don't travel this way, you'll never know this kind of history. So, you know, Africa is just that diverse. And like, when I go and visit all these places, the culture also really matters to me. And Interacting with the people, eating their food and learning about them, you know.
0: Yeah. What's the cheapest way to travel, in your opinion?
1: It's difficult, eh? You see, the thing about cheapest is that it might cost you a a leg and (laughs) an (laughs) arm.
0: Tell me about it.
1: Well, Africa is so huge. Africa is the second biggest continent. So it's not like you can, there's a way of you to escape that. You, You understand what I'm saying? One of the reasons yeah. why traveling by air is expensive is because of that breadth. Like Africa is just large. The sheer size is large, right? But there are so many other things that can bring the cost of you know, travel down, which that one has to come from a governmental approach, you know, and after after is one of them where customs, customs um, procedures that add up cost to our travel should be removed. If those things are removed. You know, it to increase, it to decrease the cost of travel for we Africans. You know, um, because yeah. right now an American can travel easier across Africa than I can, even yeah. though the Ghanaian exactly. passport is very powerful, but mm. on the African continent, but an American can still travel to more African countries than I can. You know, yeah. it
0: doesn't. Has- Talking about after. So for small businesses, who would who would we be interacting with non-local customers? When I say non-local customers, mostly customers from different parts of the continent. Yes. Would would you say that approve as an infrastructure is that you know decentralized enough to go to work with small businesses? I get the sense that you work with a lot of large Financial institutions. Yeah, yeah, so, what, yeah, else, yeah, what yeah, are, yeah, what are some, some of those services that <laughs> enable small businesses to do that?
1: I, can, I can't give it all up because we are yet to launch it. We are doing something oh. specifically for after and making enabling small businesses to be able to trust other businesses they are working on, uh, working Fantastic. with. The continent. Yeah, so I can't give Fantastic. it all up. But I gave you a teaser and what was first. <laughs>
0: Yay! <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, that would be amazing. That would be super amazing.
1: Yeah, but I mean, the whole point of doing business across the continent, uh, but, or doing business in the first place, is trust, right? So if you find a partner, uh, you want to know whether they are truly a registered business, you know, there's nothing too weird going uh, behind them, they, they are supplied their customers well, you know, all those things. You really want to know about that, right? And yeah. so we have infrastructure that will enable you to do that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And now that, that brings me to my last question. Taking taking on Africa is quite an ambitious task, given the different dynamics and systems or even ways of life that the different countries have. Right. Would you say, would you say, you, you personally and approve? would you say you guys are that ambitious to take on Africa? And personally, what has working on something like this at this level on this scale taught mm-hmm. you about ambitions?
1: Well, so so we're already doing this, right? We are across six African countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, South Africa, and Egypt, right? these are even markets that some people are wondering how we got in there. But once we, I understood that my mission was tied to integrating the African continent and enabling opportunities. So our vision is essentially to enable economic opportunities for Africans all over the world, right? But for that to happen, you need to first integrate the African continent, right? At least the key markets, then connect Create connections to other parts of the world, right? So what it means is that today, as an African, if I say I want to go make, invest, or buy shares in, you know, uh, an American company, I should be able to do it because I can verify, you know, their identities. You understand? And and that means that one, we've done we've done the core work of integrating Africa together, so Africans can do business among themselves. But two. We also enabling in that Africans can now do business with the rest of the world. That's creating more economic opportunities. How do you do business among yourselves and with people all over the world? That is by creating trust. And that is what our infrastructure is all about. And so it's, it's just for us, we don't see it as just ambition. It's not really a mere thing about ambition. It's more about solving a problem and making that problem, you know, That problem is a very relevant problem. Understanding that it's a relevant problem, and so building a solution that helps Africans who actually want to grow all over the world to be able to do that. You shouldn't go to Asia because they don't have a means of verifying you. Um, They won't do business with you, and it leads to all other kinds of things. No, it should be that there's infrastructure that makes it easy, so that as an African, I can get access to any opportunity I want to get you know, to get, right? And that's wh- how we think about it. So um, it's, it's just uh, progressive, more or less, not not just an issue of our, our ambition to conquer the world or the continent. It's, you have solved the first problem that is connecting Africans, now move to the next problem, connecting Africa to the rest of the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, how you grew up, what kind of family did you grow up in? What are some of the experiences um, you had that has um, pretty much stayed with you even now.
1: Uh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Um, so I grew up in a nuclear family mostly, right? My mom, my dad, and my siblings. I'm the first of my mom. Um, my dad had, you know, um, he has had children, you know, um, from other marriages, right? And what's interesting is that these are, uh, these are my brothers and sisters, right, albeit they're step, right? But from different countries, actually. And, and that story is a different, whole different one, right? So I have a- From different
0: countries.
1: Yes, yes, African countries. I have it's a half liberian brother. I have a half mm. like brother. I obviously have Ghanaian brothers and sisters. Uh, I have a half-Ghanian uh, uh, like Nigerian sister. So like, we were quite pan-african actually if you think about it i
0: know wow yeah. you were born for this
1: uh, yeah yeah <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean i was born 1991 me since 1991 i'm 29 years old now um uh what i i grew up in Tema, so i was born at Tema general hospital i grew up in Tema. and you know, uh, Tema is a very interesting place because it's like an industrial city, or it is an industrial city. And, and different kinds of people in Tema, right? So, like, for example, let me take school. I went to, um, growing up, basic school. I went to MAPS, MAPS uh, school complex. I don't know whether you know of that. And at MAPS, I mean, I met all kinds of people, but it was... No, I came from a middle-income family, or let me put it, that my dad wasn't super rich, right? So, but at MAPS, you get like people who are very, very rich and they get all the latest games, Nintendo and all those things, or the latest shoes and stuff like that. And I had these experiences where, you know, some of them would tease me. And I didn't just understand all, like for me, because I didn't know that level of lifestyle that they had, right? So if you're teasing me as a kid, I would think of you as quite a stupid person because, like, I don't know any other thing than that. So, like, when people are talking about games or the latest shoes or the latest movies they watch, I I mean, it's not like I, I get to watch the movies, but much later in life because I wasn't oriented. I was a very outward, um, outdoor kid, right? I always played outdoors um, in my neighborhood where I grew up. I grew up around uh, IRS flats, that's close to state fishing flats, right? The kids were really good with football. I wasn't talented with football, but I was a smart kid and I was always drawing. I was building things, like I, I built things. Like I had a project one time, I built a house for grasshoppers and ants to live in. <laughs> my wow. mom. My mom will allow me to do these things, right? And later on she cleared, she'll clear them. But <laughs> that was just me. So I grew up in my neighborhood. I grew up a bit secluded. Also, the, the kids around me, most of them were older than me. So, for example, if it came to playing football, no one would want to field me. Even though you're short, you are short, they won't feel me because I'm the youngest, right? No one wants to get ahead of me. Right. But I was young, but I had a big mouth. Let me put it that way. I would like piss off the older people around me and ask them questions, like things that they know they are doing stupidly, i would ask them, but you know this, why are you doing this like this? Right? and you know how Ghana is. Um, you yeah, a young person, elderly person, you can't talk to your c- superiors. Yeah, yeah but yeah. this kind of lifestyle allowed me to build a lifestyle of being inquisitive. Let me put it that way. So I fell in love with arts, math and science at a very young age. And it's been like that throughout the, my, my um, uh, what do you call it? upbringing through to senior high school. I went to Accra Academy. So like, yeah, I built this. I, at one point in time, when I, where I was get, going into junior high school, I had to move to the Eastern region, um, Ekropong and Mampong to be precise. And that, you know, my dad was, when he had returned back to Ghana, he worked with the IRS, which is now the GRA. Uh, that's the Ghana Revenue Authority and going to the Eastern region was very interesting for me because it exposed me to nature. I would see snakes on a regular, <laughs> unlike Tema, which is small, industrial, you know, yeah. lots everywhere. Wow. In the Eastern region, it was nature. We'd go for hikes, climb hills, you know, go into valleys, go see water falls. It was it was a, just a different thing to me. And I also fell in love with that because it was really beautiful. So these two experiences built my upbringing. It made me very inquisitive. Um, I always wanted, to, I always had a project. I, I always had a project I was working on. Like something I know that I was working on and that's just been part of my life. And uh, So I think all these things sort of like influence my upbringing and I think I also influence my younger siblings that way, because if that's what I know, then they come to meet that, basically that's what. So my younger brother is also an engineer, right? Um, the youngest we have among us, my youngest sibling sister, she's really into math, science. She wants to be a neurosurgeon. The elder of the sister, she's more of a comms person, right? So she's into communications arts and stuff like that. So. Yeah, um, this this basically was how my upbringing looked like. I had aspects of my upbringing where like, I think at one point in time, my self-confidence was impacted. And this was more of things that were happening externally. Because for me, I was always in my own world. Like, <laughs> it's not like, Whatever the case, whether we have money or we don't have money, I don't care. I'm I'm in my own world, I'm enjoying myself. Like I used to daydream a lot, right? Think about what I can do. I always thought of being a scientist. I love Albert Einstein and all that. So those things always were things that make me happy when I wake up all the time. It was only when I was a teenager, when my parents began, uh, actually, went their separate ways. That it actually began to impact my life and how I think about things, right? And so that was a different thing altogether, a whole different experience on its own. But it also added its lessons to my life. I feel like I grew up very early because I learned so many things. Like I lost my father. Well, not earlier than other people, but like just when I was beginning to uh, about to, you know, do national service and all of that, I lost, and it was. I had to radically um, be an adult. That means I have to be paying my younger brother school fees. I had to do all these kind of things that I wasn't used to because my, because my dad or mom would pay for these things earlier on. So why should it be my problem? But it became my problem. So it meant that I had to figure out how to make money quickly. But the good thing is that once you are creative, you know, um, you always know how to make money. Uh, as a young kid, when I was in school in uh, primary school, I used to design airplanes or do people's science drawings or make sculptures for them and I get paid for it. You pay me either with your lunch or you know whatever coins you have. So I was always creative when it comes to making money or figuring out how to make money. And I think that's all been. all, all these things have just influenced my life you know, back and forth and um, throughout to university then going to um, MEST. Uh, Even when I was in university, I had the opportunity to start a retail business with a business mentor, we're importing uh, drinks, call them 100 plus, isotonic drinks or sport drinks from Singapore to Ghana. And that was my first time running a proper business, really, I was like 21 years old. And But I learned, I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot. So like uh, like I said, I grew up really early, right? I, I, a lot of things influenced my life in such a way that it is what gives me the audacity to want to say, oh yeah, I think I can solve this problem. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, wow.
0: So what one value would you say is like topmost to the core of your personality or your experiences? What one value would say with all that you've experienced, you've gone through, this this one value has been the thread that's literally held everything together for
1: you? Hmm. There are many, but I think the one would be... <laughs> I think I wrote that on my Facebook profile, very my very my Facebook profile as a young kid. And that is it's possible. So I like I said, I grew up daydreaming a lot, right? So what's funny about daydreaming is that the more you start to dream and dream, actually, it tends to have an impact on your outward actions. And this outward actions is what becomes the things that you end up doing, you understand? So as a kid, yeah. I, taught, I always used to think of myself as an inventor and an artist. So I used to do all things related to invention and arts. I used to draw, paint, I used to build motor cars. Like those were the things that I do. And there was never a time in my life that I thought that it wasn't possible. You know, like, because you see when you're daydreaming, it just becomes real to you all the time. When you start to think, oh, wow, it'd be nice to be a scientist one day. Or wow, it'd be nice to own a company one day. Actually, it, it becomes real because once you start to think about it, then you create a world of possibility for me. So anything I think about, I start to think of it as to how possible it is. So if I give you a tax and you're telling me it's fine, you're finding it hard, I'll be looking at you and like, why are you finding it hard? It's possible to do it. You just haven't thought about the solution. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just that that solution hasn't come back, hasn't come to you yet, you understand? So the, the biggest value is just the ability to, you know, think and be able to dream and believe that anything I, think of as possible. And that's just, I think that's the, usually the difference between African kids and uh, what do you call it? Um, European or Western kids. They have a, they, a, a lifestyle or have, their parents prime them to believe that whatever they wanna do, it is possible. And hence the, the likelihoodness that they will end up doing it is high compared to Africans. You know, all those things can tell the creativity of kids, right? I'm lucky that my parents didn't really do that to me. My mom and dad were, they were very, I would you say, too liberal? Because the, my mom was always discipline you, but they were liberal in the sense that they allowed me to do the things that always made me happy. You understand? So that helped me a lot. That made me see possibility all the time.